Hello and welcome to the Shepherd Walwyn podcast series. My name is Jonathan Brown. Shepherd Walwyn is a campaigning book publisher based in London, England. Our purpose is to uncover and promote new ideas to society's oldest problems. And whilst our specialty is ethical economics, something Anthony Werner, our driving force for over 40 years, has pioneered, we have branched out over the years to other related areas such as the environment and the lives and works of society's change agents. These podcasts promote ideas we're convinced can actually help us build a better society for all of us. So have a listen and be sure to share with your friends if you like them, but also tell us what you think. These are debates we all need to be part of. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. In this series of short podcasts, we're speaking with economist and investor Phil Anderson. Phil wrote The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking in 2008, which documented the boom-bust cycles in US land and property values over the last 250 years. Phil's an in-demand speaker in the international conference circuit and splits his time between Europe, Asia and his home country of Australia. And he's also the founder of Property Share Market Economics, a subscription service for investors looking for advice on global market movements. Now, following on from our Meet the Author interview where Phil speaks about his inspirations for writing the book, he gets into more detail about the content of the book. So please do see these as uh, effectively a walk and talk through his book. So let's get into the interview. Phil, good to see you again. Yes, here we are, back again. Seems just like yesterday. It does, it certainly (laughs) does. So Phil, we've had um, a conversation around the background to your book, um, Secret Life. Um, what I want to get into now is more of the content and the I'd like to um, so the, the book is split up into three parts um, which is the present the history and the future yeah um, but I just like to I'd like us to get into that maybe in that order if, if you like but I want to I want to read for the viewers two things that come before the book if that's all right and the first one is um, is you say it's um, said to be Carl Jung's favorite story quoted in Owning Your Own Shadow, Understanding the Dark Side of the Sight by Robert Johnson. And it's called The Water of Life. The water of life, wishing to make itself known on the face of the earth, bubbled up in an artesian well and flowed without effort or limit. People came to drink of the magic water and were nourished by it since it was so clean and pure and invigorating. But humankind was not content to leave things in this Edenic state. Gradually they began to fence the well, charge admission, claim ownership of the property around it, make elaborate laws as to who could come to the well, put locks on the gate. Soon the well was the property of the powerful and the elite. The water was angry and offended. It stopped flowing and began to bubble up in another place. The people who owned the property around the first well were so engrossed in their power systems and ownership that they did not notice the water had vanished. They continued selling the non-existent water and few people noticed that the true power was gone. But some dissatisfied people searched with great courage and found the new artesian well. Soon that well was under control of the property owners and the same fate overtook it. The spring took itself to yet another place and this has been going on throughout recorded history. And you say at the bottom of that, this book is dedicated to those very few brave souls who have searched with great courage to find the new artesian well and have seen what life could be like if we all agreed not to enclose it. Well, uh... I love that story when I when I read it I, I knew that sums up the book in in a way um, it doesn't necessarily well, sound like a way to make money though um, so no it wasn't a, the, the universe is built on abundance it, it genuinely is built on abundance all you have to do is ask for it 
and we just with today and you know since since Henry the eighth times we've we've gone on and closed not only real estate practically everything else um, we lose sight of that abundance and I just tried with the book to try and to, to, to bring back a little bit of the abundance by by showing people how you can see through um, that system to help with your financial planning. We, obviously, we have to work within a, a well now, the society that's it's fully enclosed and getting worse. Um, but you don't have to partake of it. You can you can act uh, abundantly um, uh, uh, within it. And I just try to show people that uh, um, you know seek the abundance y yourself and work out how the cycle works, and then um, do some stuff accordingly and you know, do with it what you can. And I think that, that I mean I guess that uh, I mean that when I'm as we're, we're recording this in um, in mid to late 2021, um, the idea of people taking power that isn't theirs and using it for their own advantage, I'm sure is something that none of us can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, look, right, you know, right now. Yeah, well, yes, you know, you talk about uh, in, in enclosure of stuff that isn't there. I mean, that, that to me that sums up half of what crypto is doing when we've got when we've got people doing mems mems and. And, and dog coins and stuff where you know um, it'll be it'll be seen through uh, mm. eventually yeah, as you know the downturn's going to yeah. see what's where, where the who's floating which boat as you know well and and I guess the, the, the story that you that you tell there is that the is that the water's there for everybody if and there's enough for everybody if we're willing to share it but some people are trying to well it, it, Jonathan it doesn't even have to be shared as such it's not as if there's a enough for everybody there's just enough mm. and so um, you know I get into this when I spoke a little bit about my citizens dividend stuff um, the fund is there and it just it's like the well it just keeps on giving and and if we don't uh, if we don't enclose the well then there'll just be more and more given and since society would be based would be on it based on abundance Nobody would have any. Nobody would have any fear or need to actually feel, feel that they they need to have more than everybody else because they can go out and get it. Mm. It's just it's just all there. You just sort of pull it down from the universe or just earn it or whatever else you got to do. Um, so uh, I know I'm no I'm searching for the words to try and explain it, but it's like a paradigm shift that, that sort of has to happen in the minds of people, really, um, uh, in one sense. And it's just. Um, uh, the thing is, you would have, if if we did not enclose the well, we'd have an alignment of behaviour such that even people's selfish behaviour, even if people individualistic can go out and do what they want, um, it still wouldn't conflict with much of what everybody else does because their actions to create their own wealth is also creating the wealth of society, mm. which then, uh, since it's not enclosed, is then... That surplus is then given back to everybody as well. So it would just be an explosion of, of activity and ability whereby everybody would create their own pieces of wealth, which everybody would see is worth just the same as everybody else's, yeah. um, depending on what they do, for depending on what they return to society. So you know, to me, it's just obvious, um, but you know, it takes a bit of, takes a while to uh, see that through. You know, so. So, so just in case people get the wrong idea that you're a self-help guru, um, I'm going to go to the second reading um, before the book starts. <laughs> yeah, okay. And that's, right. and that's yeah, yeah. Every, that way. every 18 years. And you say the United States began selling off its real estate officially under a set of a set legal structure 
on May the 10th, 1800. This marks a convenient starting point for our study of the secret life of real estate, from which a remarkably regular pattern emerges. In 1818, land sales peaked, followed by a downturn. In 1836, sales peaked again, ending in a depression. The next peak in 1554 was followed by a depression. The 1869 peak was also followed by a depression, likewise 1888. The downturn following the 198 peak was cut short by the build-up to the First World War, and real estate peaked again in 1926, followed five years later by the world's worst ever depression. A construction-led boom, mainly government finance, peaked in 1944. The ensuing downturn was cut short by rebuilding after the destruction of the Second World War. In other words, for the first 144 years of real estate enclosure in the US, land sales and our real estate construction peak consistently every 18 years. Yes, since, since the US economy shrugged off the distorting effects of the Second World War, the average 18-year cycle reasserted itself with some vigour. The final years of the first decade of the 21st century will mark the passage of another cycle, 18 years from the trough of the previous one in 1992. So far, there's very little evidence that anything has changed to prevent yet another housing-related downturn, then recession. Should history repeat itself, we can expect the next trough around 2010. This book is the story of those 18-year real estate cycles, why they happen, and why you can be assured they will repeat. A little knowledge of which could be exceedingly profitable. Mm, indeed, indeed. So, I, I'm astounded nobody else has seen that. I, I, I was... I was blessed with an abundance of data. You know, remember, I was researching this. I started researching this before the internet. Yes, yeah, so you, you had to, if you wanted to get a few of the US books, you had to apply to the Library of Congress uh, to get some of the books. So when I went to, to my own libraries, uh, um, you had to get them delivered, you know, and or you couldn't just pull up, you just sit at your computer and just pull up the most recent data about everybody can do these days. Um, when I started reading through um, all the books and stuff. I, I, there is, w what I noticed is a lot of US historians and economic researchers, they had studied in depth, in absolute total detail, a particular downturn. So somebody had done 1819, somebody had done 1837. There were no shortage of books on every downturn. So, so uh, I had no shortage of books that I could read and build up the data. And uh, once I started doing three or, three or four, I got to about 1860 and I realized this very repeatable pattern. Uh, um, I thought, I thought, uh, well, you know, I said to myself a few swear words. I said, why, if I've seen this now, surely somebody else has seen this. I better actually put this in a good sequence and get the book out before somebody else does. But nobody did. Nobody's, still nobody's seen it or looked at it. it it's been astounding to me that that it isn't so... It isn't as obvious as it is, and peop other people haven't haven't put it together. I just can't. I just find it unfathomable. You know, and you get to the, at the end. I said that the next the next eighteen year cycle would start after two thousand and ten, um, uh, and and here we are. I mean, you know, um, I, I'm astounded more people haven't seen this than. Well, I mean, I guess that you know why why the more people not see it is because we're told repeatedly that this has never happened before. Um, there's nothing to see here. You couldn't have predicted it, um, and there's nothing to be done. And that's and that's really and and the thing. And when I was sat in the ruins of my financial life in two thousand seven, eight, nine, and I'm thinking, well, this is a property crash that I've just got on the wrong side of. 
and there was something I studied. I studied one in economics in in, 19, in the nineteen nineties when I was at university as well, because you could buy three bed houses in Sheffield for ten thousand yes. pounds, um, and you know, and six bed places for sixty thousand. Yes. Um, and I thought, well, someone must did some. Who who could who predicted this? If anybody, and that got that led me to Fred Harrison, um, which then led me to yes. you. Yes, yes. Um, Land economists note uh, it's not the general economists per se. But you also, and you also say in, in, so when we go into, you introduce it in the book, you've got the contents page, the present, the history, and part three, the future. Um, but the biggest, the biggest section is on the history. Yes. Um, well, I, I put the history in it. I thought if I didn't, if I didn't detail the history in some depth, nobody would believe me when I said it was going to repeat. And I had a wealth of data from various books. So I just, uh, I'd studied it all myself. So I, I summarized it as best I could and, and um, wrote it out. Uh, but of course, it, w it was important too because when you re you have to read through that history. When you do th read through that history, you realise that what we're seeing now isn't anything new. You know, the, in this current uh, decade now, into the 2020s, the same people are going to come up towards the end of the cycle that came up all last cycles. They're going to say the same thing. They're going to be behaving the same way, and we're going to get the same result. Why can't people see this? I just find it staggering, and but hey, it's you know, oh gosh, people who've people who've read the book, they write back to me and say, Phil, I, just, I can't believe this is so obvious now. How how uh, the same repeat behaviours coming up. So I um, I saw it myself when I was reading each particular downturn. So I thought, all right, I've got to put this, I've got to detail this, and I've got to, I've yeah. got to put it in. Cause, and what you and what you came up with was the um, was the different stages of each cycle. Hmm. Which tends to repeat, right? Because yes. it wasn't your idea was not the eighteen the eighteen year cycle that came from from Fred yes, and from yes. Homer Hoyt and yes, from from other indeed. people. Yes, but yours was actually to look to get into much more granular detail about hmm. each stage of yes. of the cycle. And so then you can then say to yourself, "Well, where am I?" Yes, and you'll say, "Well, you're at this stage if these things are happening." Yes. Well, apart from anything else, I wanted to know myself because I had my own investments to run. Yeah, and and for the family, it was an important. Uh, uh, financial it was important decisions that we had to make um so yeah so i in, my, in in the finish i put it into a clock i'd do the clock slightly different now if i if i could but but uh you know there it was when it when it was it just gave you the chance to see one event after the other and, and i must say my my expertise one of the things i was able to do was actually bring in a, a synthesis of combining the movement of the u.s stock market into the US real estate cycle. And that's what the clock was about. Because the the movements of the US real estate, um, stock market cycle, can help you see how the real estate cycle is going to move. And vice versa, the, the movements of the real estate market can give you a good guide sometimes as to how the stock market's going to perform. Uh, and when you put the two together, you get you get my clock. It's deadly, it's, it, it's, it's precise. And my only my only difficulty has been why people find this so hard to believe. It's, it's, it's preposterous, really, because it really is. It's not hard. It's quite simple. The same people behave the same way. The system's enclosed, and it's precisely as the as the quote you gave of of, of Jung's favourite passage. That is it. That is that is the cycle. It's as simple as that. And once you enclose things, the behaviour becomes completely repetitive, monotonous. Um, um, forecastable, make money from. It, it's not hard. It's not hard. As long as you don't get greedy, you can't. You know, you can't know precisely. You know, I'm not suggesting that you can know that um, 
the stock market's going to top on the 17th of April at, at 3:23 p.m. You know, this is not what I'm talking about. It's just the it's just the trend over time, whereby at certain stages in the cycle, certain behaviour is going to repeat. That's just how it is. Now, I can give you one very clear, crystal clear example of that. It's just tall buildings. It is um, precisely repeatable. And in, as we go into the, the end of this real estate cycle, the tall buildings, the tallest are going to open up. And in fact, the, the historical repeat that's been since 1837, the tallest building will open in recession eventually once it's built. It manifests slightly differently. This time it might be the tallest, biggest stepladder to Mars or something or other, but it, it's still going to come out and it, it's, it's, it's going to go that way. It might be, the, I don't know, this time it might be the most significant most expensive all-time crypto asset, you know, but it'll be something tallest, biggest, largest, and uh, you know, it'll be, you know, you had, you had uh, Gordon Brown in 2007 come out and said he killed the business cycle. The same thing will happen again. You know, it's not, it's not anything, not anything new. That's just one particular um, type of behaviour. It's the. Um, there's plenty more. I, get, I detail that in the book. I detail quite precisely what to look for. Um, you know, credit creation is another one. Um, the amount of debt that gets built into society—it's a—it uh, just—it uh, it all goes over the top at the top, and there'll be some. There will again, towards the middle of this decade, there will be another leader come out. He'll be—he'll have massive fans. He'll be very wealthy. I think we already know who it is. I won't name names, but but uh, you know, he's in the crypto sphere, and he's, he's the big cheerleader. Uh, don't be surprised in a few years time he'll stand up and say the world's completely changed crypto will never collapse uh, it's a new found way of doing things and um, it'll take you to the moon and there you have it that'll be the top mm. and then you actually you, you also quote just as before you get into the book um, Josh Santayana from the life of reason those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it Yes, um, absolutely. But you, but you also, um, Phil, say right at the beginning as well in the in the author's um, note, um, the last thing you say is, hey, don't believe me, study it for yourself. Yes, yes. I, I'm not asking anybody to believe what's in the book because the data's all there. It's, in, it's, it's hidden in plain view, perhaps. It's not even hidden. Take the, the in-depth stuff. It's all, it's all there. You can see the way that, um, you can see the way that property prices move. I mean, you know, my... My good friend Akil now has has done the UK stuff. He overlays building statistics and house values on the on the the eighteen year uh, um, diagram that we've got. It's 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 a it's an incredible fit overall. It, it is an anomaly. It, it, it's not even anomaly anywhere. It's uh, it, it it fits. Yes, and what we've seen recently over the last ten years, the last decade, and going now this decade, um, repeating. And there's no question. You, you, there's no question. That's why I spent some eleven chapters or so doing the, the history. If you don't know the history, we're going to repeat it, and um, we're repeating it, and we're going to get the same result. And and I, and I guess that's where you get into the the history of the, of the cycles. As, as you just said, is that you is that there were people who studied and became experts in one of the one of the crashes or one yes. downturn, yes. but there was there was no, and it's all this sense of. Oh, but you can't predict it, and they're totally independent of each other. There's no connecting factor, yes. and any any timing is pure coincidence. Yes, yes, that, that's the economics profession. That's that's what they're suggesting, really. But the the underlying factor of all those uh, historical recessions and depressions in the United States 
you know, there was there was one uh, one depression in, in one particular decade. They had high inflation. The next one, they had really low inflation. There was one particular decade where one particular recession where uh, the, the government was where the, the currency was fiat. That's more recent. Whereas beforehand, the currency was backed by gold. Yes. So here it was. You had all sorts of different features within the economy: um, a dollar backed by gold, a dollar that wasn't high inflation, low inflation, high debt, low debt, and a myriad of other things. But the the common denominator, the underlying theme all through that, is um, the enclosure of the land. It's mm. it's, it's just so. Uh, it's all there. You can't once you know what to look for. You can't miss it really. But I don't know. You just got to show people what to look for uh, in a sense. So the, the, the underlying variable was always the same. It was always enclosure of the economic rent. And it was just a question of how high property prices went before, it, before they were no longer affordable. And uh, that affordability issue, it seems to crop up every 18 years or so. And that's just manifest, that's, that's the way the cycle seems to, be, it seems to work. Historically, it was that. Um, it allowed me to forecast the, the downturn coming after 2007. It's allowed me to forecast quite accurately the movements since then and where we are into 2019, the mid-cycle peak, um, the downturn that came after that that was inevitable. Um, and uh, the inevitable rise out of that where property prices, they don't decline in mid-cycles, they keep moving. Um, and then we get into the extreme that'll be, that'll be coming towards mid-decade here. Um, uh, it's set, the timing's, the timing's pretty much set, it's all repeating. And if we don't study that past, we are condemned to repeat it, yes. Yeah. Mm. So how about we get into into the, oh, I mean, where, where should we start? We've got the, the short chapter at the beginning of your book called um, The Present, which which is now our past. That was yes, 2008 to 2010. Yes. Um, so what, how about if we were to, if we were to begin at the beginning and, um, and the, and America in well, seventeen ninety two was seventeen ninety two, and, and one of the biggest downturns. Really, uh, after seventeen seventy six, with the with the industrial revolution, whereby um, wealth was being created in earnest, and uh, the real the land had already been enclosed, and so you started to see wealth really come into the hands of um, more and more wealth in with less and less people, and really. But everybody's life improved too, and that's uh, that's how we, that's how I began. Really, right. Try to show people that it's been at the beginning. You see, and you know, despite the fact this this was prior pre pre electricity, it was pre. You know, people were doing things with horse and buggy and carts and lamps and you know whale oil and whatever else they had. They still had a real estate cycle. In, in those days, the U the US had tons and tons of land which they were still developing as everybody headed westward, and uh, the flights developed to enclose it. And you, um, and you, you talk about um, someone who's become famous since writing the book, Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Which at the time I didn't, I didn't even notice him until now. My my children sing those songs and we Do have they? them in the yes. oh yeah. Yes. And the idea that you can have a rap battle around <laughs> the founding of the American Treasury, I think, is absolutely is hilarious as well as it's like well, it's great education, yes. right? Because you can see what he did and and how he did it and why it was important and stuff. And yes. and in some respects, the propagation of the myths around. Yeah. Why it was necessary and how you've got to you've got to keep the banker sweet and um, yes. which is what you know what Hamilton did right yes yes well when you enclose the land you've got to have somebody that's going to pay, pay for your mortgage so that's what banks do create the credit and you, you're saying one and this is in page thirty three says so how to repay the investor classes 
the way it's always been done tax the people and establish the bank yeah no different now is it you know nothing's changed a long time ago um but of course the 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 establishment's fighting harder and harder now to make sure we, we see less and less so we're gonna can we're gonna uh, repeat um, various things and you um so the other thing so you talk about william william Durr, the panic of 1792 and the bank of the united states yeah. Um, and the, the whole power of credit. So what? So if you're starting all the way back, what's what do you start to see, and what does a what does a reader start to see in that in that in that um, crash and recovery, and then leading into the the enclosure of of land in America? One of the important things is, as you get further and further into the real estate cycle, things look better and better, and so even with the current cycle, things will improve out of 2021 as we go further into the real estate cycle, things will start to look better and better. People will start to feel more and more wealthy. But it's built on credit. That's the thing. That's what you've got to see. So you can measure the building of the credit based on how high the buildings go these days. So the higher and higher the buildings go, the more and more we're built on sand, which eventually makes for a system that's very easy to knock over. And so once you get to the end, there'll be an event at some point at the end, which will expose the system for what it is and then we all panic. That happens every 18 years, approximately, every 18 to 19 years. And, yeah, and, and there's, a, there's a setup in, um, in, in how it happened in America, because I guess in, um, well, you know, it was, it was when, so I mean, just as a, as a slight direct digression, my wife and I went traveling on a long honeymoon and we went to New Zealand and you could still see um, in New Zealand ancient forest, and you could see you could see obviously the deforestation that had taken place, but you could also see what New Zealand would have looked like and did look like only fairly recently. Whereas in the in Britain, we can't see that anymore. We've no. got we've, you know, there are ancient forests, but not the way there are in New Zealand because we've taken them and we've used them for and basically wasted the resource, mm. mostly those ancient trees. Um, and so, and likewise, we can't imagine um, anything other than what we've got, and we think it's always been this way. Yes. And yet, you detail in um, in the beginning of the book um, how and why land got parcelled up. And you, you quote um, Simons: "So the rapid growth of manufactures was hindered by an unwillingness of men to work for wages when a whole great continent of untrodden, fertile land lay at the western doors of society, ready to yield up its bounty to whomever could get upon it." and use his labour. Benjamin Franklin had seen this fact and had expressed an opinion that while free land existed, manufacturing would be impossible because no one would work for wages. This land was now in the hands of the national government and we find this taking steps to limit settlement and thereby create a body of wage workers. Yes, yes. Uh, we saw the same in Australia. Um, it was called the Wakefield Plan. Um, they were trying to, the, the, the uh, English establishment were trying to settle Adelaide, as it happened, um, a free a free settler state, so they were bringing people out that were not um, prisoners as such. And when when the free settlers when they arrived in Adelaide, they simply took up a plot and worked for themselves, and that isn't what the establishment wanted. They they wanted people to go out and work there so that the um, so that the the English aristocracy could could claim ownership of the land and then ship the profits back to the mother country. 
Um, so they sent out a guy called Edward Wakefield to work out what they could do about it. And um, he suggested that the South Australian government, being the state Adelaide the capital, uh, he suggested that the land should be priced. So he said anybody that wanted to settle in Adelaide had to pay, I think it was two pound an acre or something like that. Um, and if they didn't, they had to work. And then of course it was deliberately set at heights that were slightly unachievable. Um, so they had a body of wage workers. See, this is the, this is the thing. Um, you know, nobody today can conceive of a society whereby you wouldn't have that system in operation. But if people wanted to work, they'd just go out and work. And the value that gets created that, that's in society, that gets taken back as a citizen's dividend. And, um, and people can work or not work. They can do what they want. But of course, they don't get welfare either. You know, the welfare is for those who genuinely need it. Um, genuinely have to earn it who simply cannot support themselves but because society would be based on abundance nobody would have a problem with giving abundance to those who are just slightly less fortunate in their born circumstances paradise is what it would be but of course today we live in we don't live in abundance we live in scarcity which has been deliberately manufactured and deliberately created that's what i tried to show that's how we start that's basically how the books start um enclosed <laughs> i remember i remember just feeling I felt angry at you reading that <laughs> quote for introducing me, for, for explaining, because I'd obviously studied Ben Franklin and, yes. and his wisdom and, and everything else and what a great guy he was. And then, and then also it's like, well, why are all societies the same? It's like, well, and then the argument is, is that, well, humans are the same, so yeah. that's why society is. There's winners and losers and well, all it's that. it's back to the well, right? isn't yeah. it? And, what we do, and, we, we enclose it. And the idea that Ben Franklin yeah. said, you know what, these people are having too good a time of it. And actually, if we want to have factories, then we can't let people have the choice of, of owning their own land. They've got right. to be a wage a wage yes, worker, indeed. and um, and that's and that's again. It's like you know you look at in economic history in, in Britain the, the luddites that were that weren't that far away are the you know the diggers, um, not far from where we are now in Surrey in in England, and and that they didn't that people didn't worry about machines. No. So the luddites weren't against machines. What they were against is working for someone who owned the machine that yeah. they were going to be using. Yes. They were very happy to have their own machine and, and work it, but what they yes. didn't want to do is to just be, instead of being a skilled worker running a machine, they wanted to be, they, you know, working for someone else, they wanted to own the machine. Yes. And that's what it was about. It was owning the means of production. Um, whereas, you know, this insight of, well, that, and that's why there's, there's these rich families in America who've owned land from the beginning is because they knew the person that was carving the land up. And, yeah. you know, and then fast forward to the well, 90s like, in, in Russia, like, right? Like George Washington, really, you know, he, he's the first the first U.S. president, but he was also the largest landowner. I mean, it's, right. this is not coincidental, really. He was the largest landowner because he was a surveyor, took the choices parts for himself. Yeah, and it's the same. It, it, Russia's an exact replica, as you mentioned, an exact copy um, after 1991 with the falling of the Berlin Wall. Uh, falling of the, but yes, the Berlin Wall and then um, the, the opening up of um, the Soviet Union and, and Russia itself. Um, eventually, the, a few, what's the word you can use, a few... Um, insightful businessmen came in and they they fought off the competition with heavy armaments um, eventually took control of uh, some of the banks and the commodities they were then given away by the Yeltsin government uh, with exclusive rights way undervalued um, and they enclosed it mm. and you see the results today where the oligarchs come out they own half the half the English football clubs um, you know, there's been another one taken now in Newcastle. Um, 
that's the system we're in of enclosure and scarcity. But it comes out in history. You can see it in the history of the book. And there's a, there's a lovely phrase, got just stepping back to the, the, the crash of 1792, um, was the way in which the, the, so the, there was, there was the New York legislator, legislator was considering an all-out ban on brokering shares and financial instruments. Um, and yet you said you say this, no need for government involvement, the brokers argued, we shall regulate ourselves. Yes. <laughs> yes, well, if you can't regulate yourself, get the government to do it, I guess. But the idea is that it's this, and the, you know, again, it's like seen as this this new argument. It's like in in twenty, you know, in in two thousand eight, it's like you need to oh no, we, we can we're gonna, we, we can regulate ourselves this time, and it's like well, it's been going on for yes. for, for two hundred plus years yes, of of, yes. of these people yes. pushing too hard and aggressively, yes. and then and saying no 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 no, we can we can regulate ourselves. It's all, until the next time, and then and then needing a bailout and um, and moving forward as well. But it's um, it's amazing. So then you got this. Um, this enclosure of, of land, which then leads into this, you know, the two th- the, the eighteen hundred, May the tenth, eighteen hundred. Yes. And then the, we're into chapter two, which is a great American barbecue, the land boom of eighteen eighteen. Yes, yes, indeed, indeed. And that's what happened. You know, it was staggering when I when I studied the statistics. The land booms came every eighteen years. Eighteen eighteen, eighteen thirty six. Uh, you know, it just was uh, uh, regular as clockwork. In the finish, I did the clockwork. Thank you very much for listening. Be sure to get your copy of The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking if you haven't already. And also, do be sure to come back and listen next time when we start off with what actually was the great American barbecue. Until next time, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Shepherd Walwyn podcast. To explore these ideas further, be sure to visit our website, www.shepherdwalwyn.com and join our mailing list for news and special offers. Check out our authors and buy the books to learn more. And you can also find us on social media. Links are also on the website. And if you like the podcast, please head over to iTunes or Spotify to give us a review. It's surprisingly helpful in getting the ideas out there. So until next time, keep reading. <laughs>